we have to lead by example. And I think part of that is just being very vulnerable and transparent about our own struggles and creating a space where we can talk about it. We'll encourage other people to share their journey because everybody's dealing with something. I didn't know what mental health was until I had a panic attack. It became very real for me. It became part of my journey. And, you know, I was out of work for six months because of a clinical breakdown and had a journey with medication and just trying to figure out this new reality with anxiety. I had never experienced it for 30 years. And then like a light switch, you know, it was there. It was on. And I had to deal with that. And that was really tough. Welcome to the Rising Leader Podcast, bringing forth the new wave of rising leadership and helping leaders find purpose, connection, and results. This is your host, founder of Alluviance, Alex Kremer. What is up and welcome back to the Rising Leader Podcast. And if this is your first time listening, welcome to the show. This is your host, Alex Kremer. And I am joined by two incredible people, both Darren and Eric McKee. First off, what's up, guys? It's great to see you. What up, what up? What's happening? (laughs) What's really funny is Eric and I are both wearing hats here. And Darren, I feel like a majority of times when I do see you either in pictures or in our last conversations, you're always wearing a hat. So I feel like you're like the oddball out here in this conversation. Definitely. I was looking around. I felt lost a minute ago, but I felt like dressing up this morning and, uh, you know, I left the hat at home. So it's all good. Man, I mean, Eric's got the curry shirt on. I'm just wearing like a normal black t-shirt and you got the collar shirt too. So you're really bringing a level of professionalism here to this pod, which I love and respect. Super torn tonight, man. I'm a Lakers fan, like diehard Kobe fan, RIP, this mama forever, huge LeBron fan. But I mean, I love Curry and the NC connection. I'm hoping for a game seven and just want to enjoy every game. I feel that, man. I feel that. Well, let me give a little introduction of you guys. So both of y'all are co-founders of SaaS Bros, which is building a community for hungry individuals who want to break into the tech sales world and win. I love that tagline right there. Y'all are brothers from South Texas, and you're making some pretty serious waves within the tech world, within sales, within leadership, within building community. As someone who has followed both y'all for a good amount of time on LinkedIn. There's an energy you both come from that's just very, there's purpose in it. You're wanting something bigger than just yourselves. That is not, hey, look how cool I am doing. It is you're 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 genuinely helping people get to something bigger, something better, something that you both have been on yourself. I want to go there. I want to understand how did you all both get to where you are? Because now I don't want to say you're LinkedIn famous by any means, but in a way, you both got a really strong brand. And that's not just by happen chance. You both have made some pretty serious commitments over your tenure that have gotten you to where you are. And other people are following it. Be like, damn, whatever Darren and Eric are doing, I want some of that. Teach me the ways to do it. So let's just go back. First off, y'all are brothers, which is just so awesome. I'm hoping there's going to be a little bit of banter here or something like that so we get a little taste of what it's like to be a McKee brother. But how did you guys kind of come together to form SaaS Bros and just start the journey that you both are on today? Yeah, I'll let my elders go first. So go ahead, Eric. Yeah, I mean, you know, the origin story of SaaS Bros goes back to a, a fire pit night at my parents' house where we were just kicking it 
think we were drinking some bourbon and just talking about the calls that we had that week. I was an AE. I believe Darren was still an AE at that point. And we have been creating a, a ton of content on LinkedIn. I mean, just showing up daily to support the community, to put good stuff out there, mostly just sharing our story. And a lot of people resonated with that. And of course, wanted to talk and just say, you know, hey, you guys did it. Like, how did you do it? So we were on at least a handful of calls every day, just talking to people for free, having the same conversation over and over again, collecting data, hearing stories, sharing our story. And then we were both trying to hit quota, right, at the same time. And so we just needed to protect our calendar. And so I encouraged Aaron to set up a paywall. I had already done that when I was at Gravy and just started charging people a little bit to have these conversations. More and more people jumped in and wanted to talk with us and pick our brain, that whole thing. So we knew we had something early, but we had never like come together to talk about it and formalize a brand. We were just having a ton of conversations and collecting that data. So that night at the fire pit, we decided, man, let's create a brand. Let's formalize this thing, try to build some momentum on LinkedIn and just see where it goes. So we came up with SaaS Bros, put the logo together and man, the early momentum was just insane. So we've been riding that wave, trying to catch up. The brand is one thing, trying to build a business around that brand is a totally different ball game. That's what we've been on for the past like six months. Mm. So just around the fire pit, and you already had people coming to you and asking you. So what were the typical problems that people were experiencing? So you both come from non-tech backgrounds and you both are now in tech, or at least you were in tech. Even as someone, you know, I've been in tech now for about 15 years. I've led various types of tech teams or tech sales teams. And when we are interviewing or looking for potential candidates, whether it's coming as an SDR role or an AE role, usually one of the things you're looking for is, do they have a background in tech? Have they done this job before? And what's funny is I remember hiring a couple of people when I first became a leader who didn't have any tech background, and they actually became one of the top producers. And so there's this assumption or stereotype that you're needing to have a background in tech. So what are some of the, the hurdles that people face with getting into tech and how are these skills really transferable, would you say? Yeah, I can go. I think it's a, you don't know what you don't know. I'll go back like South Texas early on in life. Mom was a receptionist. Dad was in the chemical business. I didn't know what tech sales was. I didn't know what SaaS sales was. I sold like pneumatic pumps that pump oil rigs. That was sales to me. I think the common problem in this space is there's just a lot of talented people out there that have transferable skills, whether it be they were a server at a high-paced restaurant, they were a bartender, they were a barista, they were a teacher, they were a stay-at-home mom. And this industry was just foreign to a lot of folks, including myself. And so a lot of the initial conversations that we would get is like, hey, how did you get there? How did you go from pizza chef mailroom to operations to then tech sales? And it's like, I talked to a lot of people. I had a ton of conversations. I tried to understand as much as humanly possible. And so when people would come to us, we would just tell them what we did. And I had at that point, I don't know, 16 months ago, like I had built a pretty strong network. If somebody was like, hey, I want to go work with one of these 10 companies, there's a high likelihood that I knew somebody there that I could just send a message to and then get the interview. So that was a lot of the conversation early on. And I almost see that as our MVP. We were building to something that we didn't even know about and there was demand there. So when we finally launched, we knew we really, really had something. Yeah, Darren, you also have a really cool story. I mean, starting in 
delivering pizzas and then starting in the mail room and working your way up to where you are today, I guess, would you be open to sharing a little bit of that story? Because it speaks volumes to, hey, now I know somebody usually from the top 10 types of companies that people are trying to get to. And I'm like, that sounds pretty badass. Like, I want to do that. But it wasn't always that way. So if someone is saying, whether they're in tech already today, or they want to, like, how did you actually end up working away and developing this type of network? Yeah, I think, man, LinkedIn turns 20 this week. Content was king for me, man. I had to put myself in positions where people could find me. And that wasn't in my house or at a coffee shop. That was creating content so millions of people could potentially see that. Even going way back, pizza chef to getting married. My wife saying like, yo, I can't be married to a pizza dude. To, all right, I'll go run in the mailroom. She's like, oh gosh, you can't do that forever. I got really good at doing that. Jumped into a recruiter role. Didn't even know what a recruiter meant or what that person did. It was just like, hey, go hire hungry talent. And that was years ago. I ended up having 12 recruiters across the country working under me, then went into operations. So got to understand like the entirety of the business. So the financials, the sales, the marketing, all of it. And I was traveling with a salesperson and I was like, yo, I could do that. And she was making like way more money than me too. I was a little bit naive back then because now I look back and I'm like, dude, she was really, really good. I should probably call her and tell her that. At that point, I was like, all right, I'm going to meet as many people as humanly possible. I shadowed some folks here locally in sales, tried to understand the world. And then I just got a shot, man. A guy named Will Barfield here locally in Raleigh gave me an opportunity to interview at a company called Insperity. I'm selling HR payroll software. I went in there, man. I lived in my boss's office. Literally, like I was in there four or five hours a day asking questions. So I tried to just bury myself in that. And then I got a huge opportunity to join one of the fastest growing tech startups in California. Went through series D and E with them in the first year, catapulted my brand. And I haven't stopped sharing content since March 3rd of 2020. I haven't missed a day. So that's been probably the biggest point for me. And now as a VP of sales, pretty rapidly growing startup in New York, which is a joy. So man, anybody listening to this, you can do it. It's a hell of a lot of work, but you can do it. Most people won't, but if you keep going, you can get there. So I want to ask a couple questions about that. And then Eric, I want to talk about your journey a little bit as well. So first off, you've been in tech now for how long? About five years, six years, seven years? Not that long. Five or six years. So let me ask you this. Is the grass greener on this side of being in tech? Because like I said, I've been in tech for a little bit. Tech is hard, man. There's stress. There's anxiety. There's pressure. There's a certain typology of human being that's in tech that's very achievement-oriented. There's pressure coming down from executives to hit quota. And so, like, while it's, hey, that W-2 could be pretty strong, there's other things that go along. So, I guess, what's your sentiment and feeling about is now it, being in tech? Is <laughs> greener in sales? You can make more green in sales. But listen, man, I think that all depends on really two things. It's who you report to 100%. What does that leader think of you and how are they pouring into you and how are they trusting that the skills that they hired for, are they hiring you for input or output? And if it's output, it's probably in the wrong spot. Input, probably in the right spot because they're trying to get you in there to actually build the business. And so that's the key piece, man. And then also... I always say sales is the most flexible, unflexible job on the planet. You have to build the boundaries around or you will work 75 hours a week because it's just what people do. And so it can be hard if you don't have those boundaries and if you have poor leadership. And we've all been in those scenarios and typically bad leaders create bad boundaries and it's just a recipe for disaster. I'm incredibly fortunate to work for a leader now that like she gets it. It helps me thrive, not only as an individual, but an employee and that quota stuff as well. 
Yeah, it's, I would double down on that, the leadership perspective of who you work for and whether or not they're viewing you as just a person who can drive revenue or someone you know, who's wanting to invest into you, who's wanting to make you feel a greater sense of purpose. I mean, I truly do believe in part of the impetus for this podcast is the new wave of leadership is not necessarily just about hitting revenue targets. It's about investing and developing a holistic person who's going to feel a sense of fulfillment in all areas of their life. I mean, great leader, in my opinion, is, you know, being a great coach. Yeah, absolutely. And last question, and then Eric, I'll go to you. But Darren, you've now posted since March 2020, I think is what you said there. That's some badass commitment and serious discipline, man. For people who follow you, I mean, you're producing great content all the time. Talk about that journey. I mean, is that hard as hell still? What's the process been like of going through that? Yeah, man, I'll be honest with you. It's probably one of the most incredible things I've ever done other than build a family and marry my wife. But no, it's not hard anymore at all. Actually, it's like making my bed or going for a walk. It's easier than going for a walk now. Early on, yeah, man, it was hard to think of things. I studied a lot. I read other creators' content. I tried to understand what people were resonating with. I'm a weirdo in the content world where I don't have a niche. I'm all over the board. And I think that's served me very, very well over the years. I always tell people that get really frustrated with LinkedIn. I'm like, hey, man, I've been here for a long time. And every six months, those creators that you're looking at that are doing really awesome things, they leave. Every six months, they cycle out. And the people that last are the people that win. I mean, you look at guys like myself, you look at guys like Morgan Ingram, you look at guys like Eric, like John Barrows, like Zoe, like Tabitha, all of these people, they've just been here for a while and they're organically growing. Anybody can come in here and get 60,000 followers in a year by doing it the wrong way, but it doesn't scale. Mm. Well, it's putting out good content and also it's coming from a good place is I think what the resonance is there. So Eric, let's talk about your journey into tech. I mean, you know, from my understanding, you got a little bit of a different background than that of Darren, I guess. Walk us through how you got to co-founding this company here, Sasbros. Yeah, I was an athlete, just obsessed with basketball and competitive nature, channeled all of my energy into sports growing up. And I just didn't have a ton of exposure, to be honest. I was just so focused on being the best basketball player I could be. Went to Coastal Carolina, really just found people there that helped me answer some of life's big questions like, who am I and why am I here? What's my purpose? So I've always had kind of a philosophical artist bent. And so answering some of those questions was really important for me early on in my personal journey. I took those answers very seriously and decided to go work for a nonprofit after I graduated. I made a three-year commitment uh, with some of my best friends to pioneer a work in the Triangle area of North Carolina, the RDU area. So I moved here and did some work on the local campuses, UNC, Duke, NC State. And what I thought would be a two to three year stint turned into serving 12 years so over a decade in that space and loved it at every turn. Met my wife, met my best friends. And I would say my biggest blessing is just the people that I have around me supporting me and the friendships that I have that have lasted 15 plus years, all with common values and just a common vision for what we all want to experience out of life. So, man, I just I felt fulfilled before entering into to tech. We just had a weird transition out of the nonprofit world. I really saw myself there for another 10 plus years. Like We were building momentum. We were creating plans, forming teams, came to an end, and we had to pivot. My wife and I came together and just said, all right, we're doing this. 
But what does that mean? We had, I think, $5,000 in the bank. It was never about money for us. It was always about purpose. But it becomes about money real fast when you don't have a job and you've got a growing family in Durham where the cost of living is pretty high. So I had a network and I tapped into that network locally and uh, just treated the job search as a job, had conversations every day and just tried to get exposure to other industries and figure out, man, what could I do? What could I see myself doing? And made two decisions early on. I wanted to stay in Durham. We were passionate about being part of the local community in Durham and I wanted to get into sales and in the RDU area, it just became tech sales. So I started having conversations with people in tech I met the CRO of a company called 15.5 that was building out their sales team in Raleigh around the CRO. Awesome guy. His name's Brad. He's been a huge mentor of mine for the past four years. Sort of casted a vision for me to be a part of that organization. And I said, yes, I can get into more of my story in a bit. But that was sort of the entry point. And so once you got into tech, I mean, it's one thing to get the job. And then it's another to actually do it well. (laughs) <laughs> that's that's usually the biggest hurdle. I mean, what was it like actually once you were in it and you know you were working at a nonprofit there for a while, you had a growing family, you had bills to pay. I mean, walk through that process of your mindset of how it felt actually once you're in it, actually being effective within it. Man, it was humble pie. That's sort of how we refer to that season. We kind of came up with this tagline, like humble pie is nutritious. It doesn't taste good, but it's nutritious. It was a family endeavor, man. My wife was super supportive. You know how it is when you come into a company and you have no idea what's going on and you want to work really hard and meet the right people, rub shoulders with the movers and shakers and just establish yourself as someone of value. I think being 34 and entering into the SDR role, I didn't have much, but I had my maturity. And so I knew early on, like, okay, this is what this organization is about. This is what they value here. Sort of playing that game. And here's how I established myself as a reputable player on this team. And I just took it very seriously, found the top performing SDR. His name was Jackson, sat next to Jackson every day and just literally ran his play. This dude was like 22, I think, just fresh out of NC State, but super smart, just really good at his job. and. You know, I had no ego. It wasn't about me coming in and stirring things up. I just ran Jackson's play. (laughs) That's all I did. And I ran it hard. Within two or three months, it was us two at the top of the leaderboard where we just stayed for a year until we both got promoted to the eight-year-old. So just having that commitment early on with my wife's support, it was like, hey, I'm not trying to be a normal SDR. There's 15 SDRs here. My goal was to leapfrog every single one of them and be the first person promoted to the AE role when that position became available. It wasn't a marathon. People talk about it like that. I mean, for me, I would say I'm still in a four-year sprint. That's just how it is. And to your point earlier, it takes a special kind of person. And I'm all about boundaries and self-care and that sort of thing. But I had a commitment to get to 100K as fast as possible to support my family. I think it takes a lot. For someone, I think you said you're 34, to go in and be an SDR and to be willing to learn from a 22-year-old right out of college. I mean, that speaks volumes to the human being that you are. I even remember when I had just joined Outreach for five years, I joined Outreach as an account executive. For the first two or three weeks, every single one of my Zoom calls, my first calls with customers, I would go into a breakout room because I was afraid for the people around me to be hearing what I sounded like. I was afraid to look dumb. I remember I came out of the Zoom, one of the breakout rooms one time, and there's a gentleman named Hank who was one of the senior AEs there. And he's like, hey, man, are you going to the breakout room to like take your calls? 
And I was like, yeah. He's like, nah, nah, nah. You're sitting right here, right in the sales pit. So we can all hear exactly what you're saying. And I still remember it was like, that was the day that I started becoming a hell of a lot better of a sales professional. There's a line that was drawn in the sand that day. And it speaks so much to how you showed up with Jackson. It's like, I sat right next to that guy. I don't care if he was older or younger than me, but I just ran his damn playbook and put you at the top of the leaderboard there. So I love that. Yep. Yeah. And I think it's that ego. I think a lot of people come into it and have something to prove for me. I knew who I was. I was confident in myself and my journey, and I was willing to learn from anyone. Mm. And I'm assuming, Darren, you were just rooting him on the entire time, and were you, yeah, were you, you teaching him? You want to hear something freaking crazy? So Raleigh Durham's huge. It's big. I worked in North Hills, and I was in this office on like, I don't know, 11th floor, Eric, 7th floor? I don't even remember. Eric shows up to his final interview, and we're on the same floor in the same building in North Raleigh is 15-5 and in Sparity across from each other. So we got to see each other every day. I never had to root for him. Like I always knew he was just going to do it. He would just send me screenshots of the SQL leaderboard. It was always him and activity and always him. I'd send them back once from me. It was always me. And so, I mean, we have all those screenshots from six years ago when I was running recruiting where I was top of the leaderboard. I would email them to him and be like, yo, look. And so we've always been rooting each other on from that direction for sure ever since we were little. So one of the things that you guys both embody very well, and Eric, you even touched on it, is purpose. It's not been about the money. It's been about the purpose and doing something that's actually meaningful. And while a lot of people say that, not many people actually live that. And you know, my philosophy has always been the byproduct of us living in our purpose and living in our level of fulfillment is hopefully you can make a shit ton of money. But that's not the main driving force right there. And as you guys have now, I'm pretty sure, you know, Eric, you're doing SaaS Bros full-time. Darren, you're building it with him, but you're still doing your full-time gig. What's now become the purpose of what you guys are really doing? I know you opened up your SaaS Bros community too. I think that was two or three weeks ago. You got a whole bunch of people that are in this. Tell me, like, what is the purpose of all this that y'all are doing? And what is the community that you guys are building as well? This is your domain. Yeah, I mean, I think it means different things to the different people in our community. But my answer is I've always been a creator at heart. And so part of the journey for me is being able to internalize it first, process it, but then also share something that can help others. And so when I was making that transition from nonprofit, man, it was really hard. And there weren't a whole lot of people that understood. There weren't a whole lot of people that could speak authoritatively into my journey and where I was in that moment and help in a specific way. And so as I got into it, had success as an SDR, as an AE, very quickly, it was easy for us to just turn our attention to man, there's so many people that resonate with this journey that are coming to us. And I know why they're coming to us because they're not getting help anywhere else. Part of formalizing the brand was, man, let's make it easier for people through the context of community to make that transition from whatever industry they're in to tech sales and create a better life, a better life for themselves. I didn't want it to be centralized. I just dropped that in our community this morning. One of my favorite words is decentralized. It can't be built around one person's personality or resources, knowledge or brand. If we're going to truly help people, it has to be the quality of space, 
between each member of our community and take this relational approach to helping each other. So that's why we started with community. You know, a lot of people start with a course or a product or, you know, whatever. We wanted to start with people and start with relationships. I'll add to that a little bit. For me, I always had people pouring into me on my way up so that people had walked the walk before me and giving freely. They had receipts. They had testimonials. Early on, I didn't have that. I didn't feel like I was the person that could teach you how to go through social selling, how to backdoor into an opportunity, how to talk to RevOps, how to talk to deal desk, all of the things that were just new to me in sales. And I finally got to the point where I was like, all right, like I feel confident enough that I've ran this play enough to where I can help somebody that's a few steps behind me. That's been really inspirational for me is just to give back to that community and to give back to those folks like others did for myself. And I think one of the biggest fulfilling pieces of this week for me is Everybody but like one person that we asked to be on our board said yes. And they just had prior commitments that they couldn't do and supported us in like an extreme way outside of that. And then every single mentor that we asked said yes. That's just a testament of how we've carried our name over the last three years. And we've always said we don't make enemies. You also see like we haven't partnered with a ton of people because we know who each other are and we know what our passion is inside of this. Seeing this all come together, it's a year and a half's work all coming together in one centralized place or decentralized as Eric likes to say. It's just to help people, man. And we make some money along the way too. Well, I think the money that you make from this is merely a metric of the impact that you are having on people. It's a measurement of that. I think, yes, you guys have been working on this for a year and a half, but like you all have been building this in many other types of ways. I mean, whether it be the posting on LinkedIn for a thousand plus days now at this point, or just you developing a certain type of brand that's meaningful, that's not easy to do. I mean, I can even share from my own personal experience as I've built my own company and built Alluvians. It's like, this has taken, sure, I announced it, about six months or so ago, but that was working through my dome for like two and a half, three years. I'm just like, what is this? How does it feel? What's the energy of it? What am I doing in it? What's the actual product of it? And it doesn't just happen. So I, I just commend you guys both. It's something that the world is needed. And there's a reason why you're getting the response that you are. Thanks, man. Great. Yeah. One thing I did want to touch on as well, you know, in our previous conversations, we talked about mental health and the requirement of that. I think right now within the tech world, the entire world, but I'm just going to focus on tech here for a second, mental health is top of mind. I think a lot of people are struggling. A lot of people are burnt out. A lot of people are numb. A lot of people are starting to question again, like, damn, why am I doing all this sort of stuff again? And especially if the numbers next to their name on the scoreboard aren't quite where they want that to be, their level of self-worth can start to go down the drain a little bit. And I know that's really part of the driver of the SaaS Bros community and just having each other's back. But from your guys' perspective, when you are in tech yourselves or you're supporting people and being in tech to get into tech or just to be successful in tech, how do you bring in this idea of mental health? Because sales tactics and strategies for sure are important. But if there's not that underlying foundation built upon mental, emotional, even spiritual health, shit, your foundation just crumbles right there. 
So how do you guys approach the mental health game, especially in regards to the tech world? You want me to go deep? I mean, we both have stuff to share here, so go ahead. I mean, I think, Alex, a lot of it, in our space at least, in the community that we're building, we have to lead by example. And I think part of that is just being very vulnerable and transparent about our own struggles and creating a space where we can talk about it. We'll encourage other people to share their journey because everybody's dealing with something. I didn't know what mental health was until I had a panic attack. It became very real for me. It became part of my journey. And, you know, I was out of work for six months because of a clinical breakdown and had a journey with medication and just trying to figure out this new reality with anxiety. I had never experienced it for 30 years. And then like a light switch, you know, it was there. It was on. And I had to deal with that. And that was really tough, especially being an achiever, you know, kind of a high capacity person that prided myself on just being able to push through anything. Right. And keep a positive mindset. That's how I approach life. And then all of a sudden I'm having these panic attacks every day and I can't figure out like how to get my mind under control. That was real. And that changes you, man. The empathy that you have now for other people who are experiencing the same thing. It's hard to produce if you haven't gone through it. So we bring that into every conversation, into every relationship, into every space that we enter into. Just that honesty, that openness, that vulnerability, that nobody is above it. It's something that we all experience at some point. You know, I heard a great saying the other day, it's, um, you may have heard this before, it's your mess becomes your message. Your mess becomes your message. I even remember five years or so ago, I hiked the Patagonia with my sister and a couple of her friends. And while I was there, when we were in Chile, I got food poisoning for the first time in my life. And if somebody before that trip had told me, hey, I got food poisoning, I'd be like, oh man, I'm sorry. Like that sucks. But then after I got the food poisoning and somebody told me they got food poisoning, I was like, damn, brother, like I'm sorry. I feel you. That's tough. I'm here. Like, can I get you some water? Like, what can I do to support you? And it's the same type of thing with, you know, mental health. It's not just a matter of, I just start saying mantras in the morning to make yourself feel better. It's a deep complex game that I myself have dealt with depression and mental health my entire life. It runs in my family. While it's really freaking hard certain times, I'm so grateful because it's allowed me to embody and go through this struggle so that when other people are telling me, yo, I'm struggling, I'm like, I see you, dog. Like, yeah, I got you. Yeah. Um, Yes, that's huge. I mean, and also just having a support group of people around you that know you, that love you, that care about you, where you can bring them anything. Nothing's off limits. Nothing's out of bounds. That's been huge for me. I know it's huge for Darren as well. And then just creating life rhythms that help you stay grounded, whether it's meditation or for me, working out. I work out at 430. A lot of people like to work out in the mornings. I have a morning routine, but I like to work out in the afternoon because it sort of signals to my mind and to my body, like, all right, you're done with work. This is your break. And now you're about to transition into family life. And that's been a huge rhythm for me. We have rhythms with our cell phones. Here's when we're able to be on those. We have mantras in our family. So all that stuff comes together. Man, it's still hard. Like, it's still really, really tough. Yeah, I'm an afternoon working out type of person too. I just need to sweat off all the calls, all the back-to-backs that I have. If I just went right from work to family life, I'd just, I'm like, yo, I'm bringing some of this energy, this feel into my family with me. Totally. You used to be able to drive home from work. Yeah. It doesn't happen anymore. 
I'll just share something really quick. I think for me, it's being around people. As you can see, like I'm in a co-working space right now. When I work from home, my chest gets tight. When I work from home, I get anxious and I don't like it at all. So being here and being around 45 people walking in and out of this space all day, every day is absolutely hypercritical to me. And now to be able to have this community that we've built to where we're able to share transparently and openly and be vulnerable. I think today, I don't know if y'all saw this, but like the Surgeon General came out and said, we're in like a loneliness epidemic and it's equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. You're lonely. Damn. Let's just let that settle real quick. Loneliness epidemic is like 15 cigarettes a day. Fact checked me there, whatever. I don't I believe it, man. That, but, I believe uh, it. <laughs> uh, I don't even believe myself now that after I said it. But I think being in that group and seeing some of the things that have came out of Sasper's community over the last two days of feeling seen, feeling like this is a great thing that's happened to someone, feeling that when they know they write someone, that somebody's going to respond to them. That feels good feels really good because a lot of people are lonely and I don't think remote work has helped it at all, but here we are and we're able to make an impact on some people's lives. And so that's why I'm always with people, man. I'm not great alone. And I have to know that about myself. I've been practicing and learning how to like see signs in my life. Like when my neck gets tight or when my teeth are clenching or when my chest is a little bit tight, I know that like, all right, I've got to resettle and recenter. And typically I can see those signs and recover, but it just takes people. I mean, at first off, like, thank you both for sharing that. And Darren, I resonate with that same thing. I'm an extrovert and I gain energy from being around people. In fact, when you know, I'm the head of sales now at Catalyst and when I took this job, I'm in Austin right now doing this podcast, but I live in New York and I took the job a lot because I'm like, there's an office. I need to go in and be around and surrounded by people. What you both speak really well to, and you know, I'm going to tie this back to even, in fact, this is called the Rising Leader Podcast. Before you can lead anybody else, a team, a family, a culture, a movement, like you got to lead yourself. And Darren, even just you saying, hey, I have to, whether it be you practicing, you sitting, meditating, whatever it may be, it's like, I got to check in on like, how am I doing? Oh, damn, my chest is tight. Oh, man, my neck is really, you know, anxious or whatever it might be. Tense. I have to make sure I'm creating space for myself. And even same to you, Eric, it's like, Hey, I know what's important for me so I can show up best for my family and also probably the next day I show up for because I got to work out in the afternoon. And I also got to make sure that I'm doing my morning practice as well. And so it's just like such a great example of you don't need the title. You don't even need somebody else to lead to be a freaking leader. You are leading yourself and such great examples right there. Well, man, I love the name of the podcast and just the whole wave that you're on and the guests that you've had come in because... My conviction is what the world needs most is better leaders. I think if we're in a loneliness epidemic, we're in a leader and leadership epidemic as well. So I love the team that you joined. And there seems like there's some great people over there. And early on, I never chased money. I always wanted to chase like opportunity and chase being next to the people that I looked up to the most and the leaders that I felt like were having the most impact. So you know, being in the nonprofit world, you sacrifice a lot financially so that you can have those experiences as an individual and as a growing leader. And taking some of that back into our community is just full circle for me. It's really cool. You guys ever read the book Good to Great by Jim Collins? If you haven't, you definitely should. But, you know, in it, it talks about the five levels of leadership and the biggest difference between a level four and a level five leader is that when a level four leader leaves, well, a level four and a level five leader, while they're both at the company, the performance is the same. It's both doing really well. But when a level four leader leaves, the company goes down. 
because they were the inspiration. Where a level five leader, when they leave the company, it not only continues to do really well, it gets even better because they've inspired and built great leaders under them to not just be sold on them, but to be sold on the movement, on the journey. And there's a new, maybe not so new of like, who is the conscious leader and tapping into consciousness. And it now extended, it's like, there's actually now level six, level seven, level eight, where the level of leadership that the world is needing now is so much greater now because we're such a globalized world. There's now so much data. There's now artificial intelligence. There's now different types of people that the leader is needing to take into an understanding of like, how do we go about solving some of these problems that there's not enough leaders that simply have the capacity to do that. (laughs) And also have the capacity to do that without getting their ego stuck in the way of how to say, oh man, not just how do we create a good relationship, but how do I make it so that this person needs to be lifted up or maybe seem like they're in charge and I'm okay with that. And that new requirement of leadership, it's interesting to see where the world is going with this shit. <laughs> you would vibe out on this book, Alex, Integrity by Henry Cloud. I just dropped a quote in our community, but he calls character the ability to meet the demands of reality. And I've been thinking about that a lot. Like our character. The ability to hit the demands of reality. The courage to meet the demands of reality. Just stepping into reality and being someone of character, someone of integrity. This episode is brought to you by Alluvians. Alluvians is helping sales professionals and sales leaders master the craft of sales by transforming the inner game. Last year, we threw over four retreats and helped over 150 tech sales professionals, leaders, and founders. And next, we got it going on May 3rd through 5th in the beautiful Austin, Texas area. So make sure you apply to alluvians.co to check it out for more. Integrity, it's hard to do. Well, this is what I'll say. I got one final question, but before I give it to you, I just want to acknowledge both of you. First off, this way to show up and just be humble and vulnerable, but also got some freaking purpose. It's inspiring to see what you guys are doing in terms of what you're building with SaaS bros, what you're building with your community, and just the hundreds and thousands and millions of people that you either have impacted or that you will impact. It's creating a ripple effect to people outside of just SaaS bros as well and people who are starting their own communities, people who are saying, hey, I want to do something more because of what you guys are doing. And even your shares around the mental health journey, not many people are willing to honestly share that. And so just thank you for doing that. Here's my last question. I'll give both of you the opportunity to ask this. This show is called The Rising Leader Podcast. What do you view as the rising leader? (laughs) Darren, you go. I've been talking a lot. (laughs) Man, I just think back to every leader that I've ever had. I file away good leader mentality and I also file away shitty leader mentality. And good leaders make me feel seen. Good leaders make me feel empowered. And good leaders also make me feel safe. And so those are the three things that I think about a lot. Like, can I fail? That's a hyper critical one for me and know that I can go in tomorrow morning and my team has all the faith in the world that I'm going to succeed the next day. So that's what I think about a lot. I've had good and great, and I'll take both of them with me for a long time. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, you made the point, Alex, that you got to lead yourself. And I think we're always in a process of learning how to lead ourselves, but it's important that you have a baseline before you enter into 
formal or informal leadership of others. And I think a huge part of that is self-awareness. I can buy with almost anybody, almost anybody. But if you're not self-aware, I can't kick it with you. That's where I draw the line. I'll be around you, but we're not going to be friends because I need to know that you possess the maturity to be able to handle conflict, to be able to handle like a hard conversation, to be able to handle a disagreement. And so I've had a few relationships where I've had to like step out of because this person is just not self-aware enough to understand how they're impacting me, how they're impacting others in the space that they inhabit. So I think this new generation is going to be challenged there. There's so much opportunity and there's so much competition. Are we going to slow down enough to understand who we are, what we want out of life? Are we going to allow other people to speak into those things and be a full-hearted person that knows themselves and knows others and can lead with empathy, man. That word is huge. That's one of the things that we look for in our certified hungry candidates. So that's what I think about when I think about the rising leader. And I have a lot of hope. I'm hopeful. We're challenged, but I'm hopeful that there's a lot of rising leaders out there. Love it, man. Well, I appreciate this. If people listen to some like, man, how do I get in contact or follow these guys? What's the best way to do so? Uh, DM, <laughs> send me a LinkedIn DM and I won't see it, but you'll get an auto response and email me and then I'll probably see it. <laughs> uh, the best way, Alex, is to go to our website and there's a journey there. You can find your way into the community. We have an annual or a monthly membership. Come check out what we're doing in there. Uh, it's been popping over the past few days. We got almost 50 members and then close to 30 or 40 mentors in there that have raised their hand to support people on their journey. So just stoked to see the stories of the early folks that have trusted us and the first Certified Hungry group. It's going to be wild. Certified Hungry. And that's sasbros.co if I'm not mistaken there to follow you all. So Eric, Darren, this was awesome. I appreciate you both. Just thanks for showing up like I said earlier, and all the listeners who hopped in and joined, thank you for joining. If you like this, share this with somebody who needs it, who just needs a little bit of like vibe in their day. So thank you all and go crush it. Peace. Peace. Thanks for listening to the Rising Leader Podcast. Make sure you hit that follow button so you get notified every time a new episode releases. If you know someone who wants to take their lives and their career to the next level, send them this episode so we can all rise together. For more information, check out alluvians.co. We'll see you next time. And in the meantime, keep letting it flow. This episode is brought to you by Alluvians. Alluvians is helping sales professionals, sales leaders, and founders master the craft of sales by transforming the inner game. In the past 12 months, we've thrown four retreats and impacted over 100 tech sales leaders, founders on not just getting better at the craft, but really working on the inner game, gaining clarity on their vision, and also overcoming what's holding them back. The best part is you'll be doing it in an incredible community of high performers who are also trying to do the exact same thing. Our next immersion is going to be this May 3rd through 5th in the beautiful Austin, Texas. And make sure you check out alluvians.co to apply there. Can't wait to see you.